0: Hey, guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fisher Report presented by GEICO of Mobile. The first podcast to bring you the local fish report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. This week's sponsor is your local GEICO of Mobile. Hey, y'all, did y'all know GEICO offered water service? That's right. It'll cover breakdowns, gas problems, all kind of stuff like that that we may run into on the water. Hey, and you can even bundle it with your existing boat insurance to save more. Call Ron Davis of Geico Mobile and get you a quote, 251-445-0053. That's Ron Davis at 251-445-0053, or visit him online at geico.com forward slash mobile-al. I'm Brian senior your host and your co-host, Stephen Wisdom, and I am glad to have you back, brother. What's going on? Man,
1: me too. Sorry I had to miss out last week, guys. Sometimes you got to dive off in the deep woods for a customer. and uh, As you may not know, I, I own a, a feed company, and and I had a very important customer who uh needed my attention last week so hated i missed it but uh, i'm back gotta pay them bills bills. bills. and but i mean i'm fortunate to as we've talked about before get to live in the outdoor world from a career standpoint and uh very grateful but sometimes i do get pulled in a lot of directions but uh some people that drives crazy but i actually like it people think i'm crazy but i like being on the go all the time but glad i'm back and man can't wait to uh, dig a little bit in and see what is going on around the state right now with all these little fish that we like to
0: chase oh we do like to chase them well i'm glad i didn't have to miss a day i thought i'll I, i'm still not sure i'm not going to end up in the hospital for the day's over but um uh, man i don't know what i came down with yesterday hoping it's not the rona but it might be so we're gonna get checked out and and see but i'm gonna try to make it through hopefully i don't fall out during the podcast today but if i do uh, i know it'd be good hands with steven so he'll keep going. i do know cpr (laughs) Uh, so i'll come in there hot Uh, that's what i'm talking about it's good to have friends i can tell you that well hey today on our first segment we're gonna be going up to the tennessee river chain lake pickwick with david allen david what's up my friend
2: hey guys how's it going
0: Man, it's going good, buddy. We're glad to have you on. How's it going?
2: Oh, man, doing good. Fishing's getting hot. They're starting to do what I like them to do best. They're starting to get done spawning. Shad spawn's getting to get wide open with the water warming up in this warm week we got. Uh, They're starting to move offshore to their summer nest off in the deep spots of the lake. And uh, it's just getting to be that good time of year when everybody likes to fish on the Tennessee River.
1: It is definitely getting hot fast here in Alabama. It's crazy how just how cold it was in the mornings this past weekend and now we're just quickly running towards the 90s and things change in alabama very fast and so uh yeah tell us a little bit about you know you say they're headed out to their to their summer nest what does that transition look like on pickwick
2: you know here the transition i always see it here um we wait for those Days get longer, of course, like they are now. You know, it's starting to get dark, closer to nine. Every day, you know, we get closer. And then the main thing I see is, you know, the fish get done spawning. A wave gets done. They go up there. That water temp, the lake gets finally stable. They come to want and say, okay, I can go up here and drop my eggs. And that water temp starts getting above the seventy. We start getting that 71, 72. And it really starts putting them fish in the Alright, That's time to move out. You know, our water temp was up there at about 72 i say about a week or two ago before that major cold front came through, and we actually had a a little wave of them show up on some of the, what I call the creek offshore holes, you know, inside Bear Creek, you know, Yellow Creek, those major creeks that, you know, major populations of fish live here. But what happened was it got cold on them, and it kind of just put a stop on it. It's like all the fish went in the limbo. Like, okay, I'm going to stay where I'm at. Or they started going back to the bank because there was a... Pretty drastic shad spawn, not the big yellow tails or, you know, thread fin and gizzard shad spawn, but like the smaller thread fins are sh- shad spawning on pea gravel banks and rocks and uh, some of the grass mats we've got growing out here on some shallower stuff. There's a, lot, a little bit of shad spawn action going on, and I think a lot of fish just hailed in that. And really forged back up after post-spawning, because when they get done post-spawning like that, they're very weak, and they got to fatten back up and get, get some energy back from all that work of trying to produce some, uh, produce some babies they're doing that but it's it's getting there i went yesterday for about eight hours had a trip and uh we caught a lot of our fish fish fishing grass throwing little swim bait um spinner bait just trying to mimic those shad spawn you know throwing a a four inch swim bait a true bass 4.5 i was just throwing it in 99 problems on a half ounce head just kicking it through that grass you can actually when you get around the shad spawn you'll feel those shad in the morning bumping against that bait kind of rubbing up against it and uh, that's when you know you're getting in that shad spawn all of a sudden it'll quit ticking and it just goes boom and one of those big largemouth or mouths got a hold of it and then we'll throw out a spinnerbait doing the same thing and uh it's been fun doing that and then once the sun gets up and gets gets things going the kind of shad spawn starts to die off a little bit you can sometimes stay around those areas and just move out deeper um, off the side of the hump, or you know, off the first drop off the bank, that their shad spawn on. Sometimes could still catch those fish even after the you know major part of the shad spawn's kind of ended. And you'll do that till you know they kind of dwindle out because those fish will forge like crazy in the mornings. They'll just kind of fill them. So if, when the water temp's still being in the low 70s, those fish don't have to feed as, uh, as fast, and because uh, the water's not so warm, their metabolism's not as high as it has to be. Um, and then after that, I'll you know midday I'll start going out and looking on some. You know, deep water points coming off the bank in the creeks and the humps. And all, you know, you're using those branch units to scan up these pretty good sized schools. I think the biggest school I've seen, I've seen some 200 fish schools, but a lot of them are mixed in with white bass right now. Yeah. Um, you know, so you've got to you got to get through those white bass to get to the largemouth a lot of times and do a lot of catching. But once you get the bass started, fired up, the white bass will run away. Because <laughs> those largemouth will actually eat those white bass, especially the bigger ones.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when you're looking on your graph and I love this time of year as well, where we jump, kind of jump off the bank and back, back to the offshore and we're really studying, you know, one of the things that I've always tried to hone in on and, and is, do you have that ability to really identify both a school that, that has both white bass and largemouth, and, and even on a, on a lake, like pickwick smallmouth. Or you really just you know tackling schools and you just it, it just all comes with um, history and 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 you know you kind of get a feel whether or not you're ever going to get a large amount of bite in a, in a, in a uh, white bass school or can you actually can you actually identify those with the yes. amount of time you spent on your electronics?
2: Yes, once you get used to looking at those little dots on the screen, you can actually decipher what fish are making these school And it takes time. You're not going to just see it and go, "Oh, there it is." And I do a lot of on-the-water sonar trips with my guide business out here. People buy these the big high-dollar units. I'll teach them the kind of the general things I go about at the Cypher. Okay, these are white bass. These are largemouth. These are catfish. You know, these are crappie. Mm-hmm. Fish all set up a little different than others, and even the dots show up different sizes and, and shapes on the screen to what kind of fish they are. And you actually be able to scan over a lot of these schools, and the white bass will look. They touch each other. They run in massive schools together. They're littler dots. They're not really set up in a horizontal plane as much. They'll be suspended. Um, their dots will be touching each other, and they're actually, you know, they're not as big of a game fish. Dots will actually be smaller on the screen. Now, granted, if you got small large boom, you're gonna have a hard time seeing the different dots. But that's when you just go up, oh, how the dots are set up.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Why about
2: getting big blobs? Look like just, and you know, they'll be bigger game fish dots. They won't look like Shad, but they'll be touching each other. They don't care to rub up against each other. Largemouth, they like their space. They're not going to you know, rub up against each other unless it's a high current situation. They have to. Yeah, oh, that's But largemouth will sit up in a horizontal plane most of the time, you know, relating somewhat to the bottom. Now, granted, if there's a big ball of bait that floats over me, if they'll come up way up in the water column feeding like that. But when they're just set up on the ledge, they're going to be in a horizontal plane, and you're going to be able to count every single dot. They're going to have some space in between them. They don't want to be rubbing up on each other. They want to be able to get some room and be ready to chase bait and feed. So I always, you know, people, when I pull in these schools, especially this time of year when they're all mixed up with white bats because that's really the only bait that's out there. The shad are up spawning. There's not that much shad out deep because the water's still in the mid-seventies they can still survive up shallower and get their spawning going and reproduce more shad. So a lot of the bait fish that are, these offshore fish are out there in are white bass. So you can actually pull over these schools and I'll show people, hey, there's the white bass in the school, there's the largemouth in the school. And sometimes they'll mix together so thick that you have a hard time picking them out. And a lot of times you actually just sit there and fish them and then you can stand back over them and see where the white bass start getting stirred up and they'll yeah. separate from those large Like, oh, there's the largemouth and you just keep catching yeah. them. But so, it takes a lot of time to understand that. You got to put some time behind the steering wheel to see that for sure.
1: Absolutely. So, <laughs> so we're in the middle of that transition, and I know I heard you say you're throwing some swim baits and spinner baits, and you know, as you mm-hmm. transition with that shad spawn. And um, mm-hmm. but once you kind of get out there and you're really graphing, like uh, what should go to on Pickwick, how, how are you catching those fish that you're? <sighs> That you're truly graphing. You're not fishing a grass edge. You're not fishing a transition point. You're truly fishing schools of fish that you found on your graph.
2: Martin, if I had to pick three, only three rods to go up, tackle these all, offshore fish on Pickwick, it would be, you know, earlier in the year, it would be Z Z-Boss 22 crankbait and Blue Moon. That crankbait, I can throw it. I can reel it fast. I can even get it down deep, and you can actually reel it slow and just glide it through the schools. It's just a good all-around crankbait, and everybody loves throwing a crankbait, of course. Mm-hmm. Wind it, and you get those fish fired up, you can just catch them cast after cast. Um, but sometimes they get off that crankbait, especially after getting pressured a little bit. They'll kind of get you know, very wary of that crankbait and won't eat it as good. Um, then I go to a 5.5 true bass swim bait. Now, granted, if it's a smaller bait, I'll go to the 4.5, and I just throw it on a three-quarter ounce head. Um, and then after that i'll pick up a uh, i'll pick up a big worm on a shake head you know sometimes i throw a the uh, big sandy worm from profound if you know they're wanting a big profile if they're not wanting a really big profile i'll throw you know, like a zoom mag trick worm you know, green pumpkin or plum just depending on which color they want and those three rods you can you can dissect every school on this on the tennessee river with that and you know you've got your three you get your fast cranking that you can really dissect them really fast If they're really foraging good, if they're not eating as good, but they're still eating shad, you can throw the swim bait and just kind of finesse it, yet power fish still. And then if they're just really lethargic, you can drag that worm and just dissect the school and catch the ones that necessarily wouldn't eat a moving bait, but you can catch them with that dragon bait. So I had to pick three rods that I could only have on ledges every
0: day. That's good stuff right there, man. Um, So on your trip yesterday, it sounds like you worked like – at least three different patterns from what it sounded like which one was yeah. the best yesterday
2: the best for consistent catching yesterday was that early morning shad spawn bite because that is it's a hot and hot and heavy action whenever you get those shad spawns Cause those fish are just they're just gorging on shad because those shad aren't they're not protecting themselves they're kind of vulnerable at the time because they're worried about
3: you know spawning and they're not really worried
2: about you know staying away from the bass so they're up there not paying attention those bass just gorge on them and i mean some of them fish we're catching will be 16 inches long, and they just weigh over three pounds because they're just so fat and plump with those shad they've been eating so much. And we probably caught, you know, 20, 25 in the first, you know, two hours of the day just because they're feeding so good on those shad spawns. Um, and we were actually fishing kind of – we weren't on the bank. We were just off the bank where a group grass edges next to a pea gravel bank, and those bass are just sitting out there in that grass and just going up and foraging on those shad. Um, and then once that happened, you know, we started fishing some, you know, I call it mid-lake stuff, but it's more or less creek-related offshore stuff where those fish are transitioning from spawning and just easing their way out. And we we caught them, you know, we probably caught, I'd say, 15 fish offshore. So they're still in that I call it the post-spawn funk offshore. And a lot of it's got to do with fishing pressure, too, because a lot of, you know, there's only so many schools out. There's not a lot of schools out with this cool water and this cool weather we've had. Mm-hmm. Which that's going to change drastically this next week with all this warm water. Mm-hmm. But the shad spawn bite's definitely been the most productive, but it's a short lived window. It, it it lasted, you know, while the sun's not up high. Now, uh, granted, I double back on some of that stuff later in the day and we caught a few, but it wasn't nowhere near the, the fast paced action it was that first two hours of daylight. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, that, which is granted, that shad spawn will start dwindling out you know here in the next week or two just because it'll get so warm and those fish those those shad won't be doing doing the thing much anymore now the granite the bigger gizzards and the bigger yellowtails which they don't necessarily do on the bank as hard as the littler shad do they'll start doing on those main river grass flats and high muscle beds and stuff we've got on on, you know scattered all over the tennessee river you'll start seeing them and how you look for those and a lot of people go how do you find the shad spawn it's Literally, you just get out there early in the morning and just watch. You'll see them doing it. Them shad will be flickering on the surface. It looks like little disco balls floating around, and there'll just be tons of them. It'll look like a football field of shad just floating around, you know, flickering out of the top of the water. And if you ever throw like a spinnerbait or swimbait, and you have a bunch of shad following your bait in, you're in the middle of a shad spawn. Get ready, you're about to unlock Pandora's box, and those bass are going to show themselves. And you'll actually start seeing bass schooling in them too. Sometimes I'll throw topwater on the deck just for fun, because who doesn't love catching them on topwater? Right. You know? yeah. What <laughs> yeah. a fun
0: way to fish, man, chasing the chest pond oh, that's, yeah. that's a fun way to fish. Well, David, if somebody was coming up there, man, you know what you got to do.
1: We got to have a tip of the day. So, uh, And I, I'm going to uh, hone in on that tip of the day because, uh, you know, I, I'm going to make it a little bit more precise. And not only give us a tip of the day, but give us a tip. In the context of your electronics, if there was one setting that a guy could change on his electronics that would change the game for him in the context of him being able to effectively and efficiently use his electronics like he's never done before, what would be that one setting that you would change that you see most people don't have it set that way?
2: The one thing I see a lot of people do on their graphs that throws them off is they try to alter their sonar where it's super duper clear they take it off the stock settings and try to you know make it where you only see the fish you don't see all the little grass Mm -hmm. the little balls of bait that are really faint on a screen just leave those sonar graphs alone until you really get dialed in on what you're Mm -hmm. you know leave your sonar stock because I use Laurent's uh, HDS lives, and I honestly never touch my sonar if I don't have to from the stock settings, almost just 2D sonar. Yeah. Um, and they work fine because you then get to see everything. It has it set on auto sensitivity, and the color lines already set, and your frequencies already set, and it works great that way. So don't immediately out of the box start adjusting settings because it comes with a preset setting group in there so you can get used to your unit. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, once you get in tune with that graphic, Start playing with some settings. Learn it a little better. Mm-hmm. But don't just instantly get out of the box start playing with buttons because there's a reason they come out of that box in those settings. Right. That way you can have a, a, a foundation to build on once you get used to those graphs. That's the main thing I see most people do wrong when they first get these graphs. They put them on the boat and they instantly start hitting buttons. Run with the stock screens, the stock you know sonar settings, and just learn that graph if you've never done it before, if you're not going to hire somebody like me or the other guys that do offer sonar trips, run up those stock settings. It can teach you a lot.
1: Yeah. Well, good. That's awesome. Thanks, uh, David. Uh, Guys, that was the tip of the day and it was brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. Hey guys, if you are fortunate enough to own a lake or a pond, then I know you want to get the most out of it that you possibly can. We all want to manage and grow big deer, but we also want to grow big fish on our properties and if you have that property to try to get the biggest healthiest fish possible give norman at southeastern pond management a call norman will get you headed in the right direction to get your fish as big as possible so call southeastern pond at 205-288-1371 well, David, man, thank you so much for your time again. We love chatting with you. You're a wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. on Pickwick. I love how you break things down and you you kind of ride the line of, of technical versus practical. And so uh, we know that our listeners are getting a lot out of it. And um, uh, hopefully they'll be reaching out to you to uh, go take a trip with David or to catch a bunch of fish or, like he said, even just to dive in deeper to understand your electronics so many people buy really advanced electronics but they never stop to learn and understand them and david can help you do that and that's
0: one thing that i really love that you just said a while ago man and i didn't know that that was an option i didn't know that there was somebody out there like yourself that i could i could uh contact and put in the boat with me to go teach me not only how to set the uh, electronics up but how to use it on the lake to catch more fish and to find fish and what I'm looking for, how to dissect that thing. So, uh, man, that's really good. If somebody wants to come up and go fishing with you or get you to uh, get in the boat with them and teach you how to fish with these electronics, how they need to get up with you, Dave? The easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, just give me
2: a call on my phone at uh, 270-205-9380 is the easiest way to get a hold of me. Granted, I'm out on the water fishing all the time, if I don't answer, leave me a voicemail, I'll get with you as soon as I can. And then the other way is just to keep up and kind of see what's going on with me and how, how the fishing's going. Um, just get on Instagram and Facebook and look up David Allen Fishing. And David you,
0: Wim. I post pictures pretty regularly, and you see me on there? Well, good deal, man. Well, thanks. Uh, thank you a lot for being on, and uh, we always enjoy it. Like Stephen said, you're a wealth of knowledge, and we appreciate you being on here, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Keep catching fish and be safe on the water, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, in, in the next week or two, I'm sure. So we appreciate it. Sounds you. great. Have well, a thank good you all,
2: and everybody good luck out there.
0: Thank you, man. Thanks, Take ma'am. care. all right guys for our second segment today we have brian barton joining us from north alabama he's a he's a wilson lake pickwick lake jack of all trades from what i understand so brian man welcome to the alabama freshwater fishing report we're excited to have you
3: well thank you i'm honored that you uh called and asked me to be on and yeah, I'm kind of what the locals call an old river rat. Fifty-four-year-old, been on the river my whole life in the Shoals area. Started out in high school for spare money doing muscle diving, fishing trot lines, and flat boxes for catfish. Evolved from that into a tournament bass angler for about a decade and uh, did that for a while. Had a lot of success. And then just as I got older, looking for sideline income, I decided to pursue guiding. So got a Coast Guard license and... Started out just as kind of a catfish guide because that was what the demand was in our area. But that's now diversified into bluegill. Probably one of the few anglers still doing live bait for smallmouth bass, which is about a lost art in our area. So if it swims, I'll pursue it at some point in time.
1: Man, that's awesome. Well, uh, Brian, I'm actually originally from the shoals myself and... I uh, have a heart for Wilson Lake and I, I I know you spend some time on there actually very first boat I ever owned was a 1973 Astro glass piece of junk I mean but I love it. it broke down every time so but my strategy was I couldn't fish on Pickwick because I basically broke down every time and if you break if I broke down on Pickwick I mean I may end up at Natchez Trace no way to get back but in my mind my little 16 year old mind, i was like if i go up on wilson i'll just drive up and fish and if i break down i will eventually get back home and i and i would put in in the the boat ramp right there at the dam and basically cut my teeth fishing out of a boat by myself uh as a teenager on wilson lake only because i had a i had a uh, backup plan for my breakdown that i would eventually just float back to the truck i think,
0: I think we had to boat well,
1: going growing up man when
0: i was growing up in demopolis on that Tom baby river that was the thing i thought about i, I think i had three trips in a row where the coast guard had to come get me in the middle of the night because i went went home and mom and daddy's calling the, the coast guard but I had i had one of them old stick steers you know yeah he, yeah
3: oh yeah Well, I think we all share that. My first was a low flat-bottom boat riveted, and, uh, of course, there were no bilge pumps or any way to pump. So you fished for 30 minutes, and you took a coffee can and bale water for 15 minutes. So we kind of all started a little rough, I guess.
1: That's right. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, man, I I love it. and I want to dig in. I want to hear about what's going on 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 Wilson, but even more so, like you said, this lost R of the live bait fishing. So tell us a little about what's going on with the catfish world. Cause we want to, we want to add some of that catfish uh, reports as well, but definitely want to dive into the live bait approach um, that you do. So what what okay. are we doing catfish wise right now?
3: Well, catfish right now, I did a, a an outing yesterday afternoon, kind of a meat fishing trip did really well. We're kind of coming out of the time for the big cats. They will spawn end of May and June. So that's really contrary to popular belief of most catfishermen, that's the worst time of the year to fish for a trophy fish because they're they're in spawning mode mm-hmm. but the little fish bite has been really well uh 20 to 30 feet of water in the sloughs and gravel bars uh wilson lake is just full of fish you know commercial fishing is also a dying art in the 80s when i was coming up you had 10 guys pulling trot lines and gill nets every day that's been gone for a decade so our lakes are literally just full of small and medium-sized catfish so not a lot of skill required to catch them just get the bait and and go do it um so catfishing is going to be good the rest of the summer and as far as the live bait uh it's kind of on its way down that's the, the negative i guess if you will to live bait it is seasonal Because I use the river shad. I don't buy the bait shop shiners. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to catch them with a throw net. And and there's a window of that in the spring, March, and through most of April. And, of course, fall from Labor Day to Thanksgiving is the bonanza time when you just really catch a lot of bass when they're gorging up for the winter.
1: That's awesome. So do you find yourself kind of transitioning right now, as a lot of people are transitioning with the bass spawn? Are you – really mainly focusing on catfish trips.
3: I am pretty much. uh, I I backed off a little earlier than usual. Uh, Of course, COVID-19, there's a lot of other variables this year with my my bookings because most of my clients do travel four or five hours away. So the lodging issues, you know, cause a lot of cancellations. However, that being said, I have reliable sources. We're catching smallmouth on the bed a week ago. Uh, Yesterday afternoon on Wilson Lake at 4 p.m., our water temperature was 68 degrees. We should be pushing 80 this time of year. So, you know, the fish are messed up. It's been between the flooding, the up and down roller coaster of temperatures. They're all over the place. But on a normal year, that live bait is late March, middle of April is the prime time to catch the spawning fish.
1: Nice. So still sticking on the uh, the catfish. Show. Hel- help our listeners who, like me, uh, I've been an avid bass fisherman my whole life, but my kids are uh, getting a little older now, and they, my oldest son is enamored by just catching fish. And so we've started – you know, so I'm not always on the grind like a lot of a lot of my bass fishing is. So I've been catching a lot of crappie with my son just for the sake of catching fish. And so a lot of guys out there, you know, may be in a position of considering trying new things. And even though they may be very advanced fishermen, they may not be advanced cat fishermen from the standpoint of the approach and the rigging. And so tell us a little bit about man, if we wanted to go come up to Wilson and, and fish with you. What what can we expect on our approach? How are we going to catch these fish? What's the rigs going to look like? How are we going to try to find the fish uh, that to catch uh, on Wilson?
3: Well, I'm going to try to, to simplify that in two answers because we're in bass fishing. You have different lures, sizes, colors. You have different things you can change and manipulate. In catfishing, really the only thing you can do is change the location you're fishing or the size of the bait to target a bigger or smaller fish because you don't have the the variation of things you can do but the worst thing people do in catfishing is they overthink it catfishing basically there's three methods that i use to catch catfish number one is what we call slow trolling which basically we're using a a heavy duty equipment with a float rig and a quick description of a float rig it's a three-way swivel it has a, about a six or eight inch dropper to a two to three ounce weight, depending upon current and depth. And then off the other leader of the swivel, you have about a five foot line with your hook. And we place a small styrofoam float 12 to 15 inches above the hook. So if you can visualize that, as you throw it out behind the boat a couple hundred feet, you're, you're trolling point two, point three, very slow. You've got the weight that's stirring up the sediment. you got the audible sound to attract the fish. But yet you've got this float rig keeping your bait up uh, out of the mud and off the hangs, Mm -hmm. suspending that bait about two foot off the bottom. Another thing a lot of people don't realize in clear water, catfish is a very visual feeder. Mm -hmm. I only use bright red floats. And if you're a bass guy or a crappie guy, if you pay attention, if you get into blue cats, a lot of times it's because you're throwing a red-headed jig or something with red on it. I think it's the blood factor. I don't Mm -hmm. really know that. But whatever reason, they're attracted to red. So if you're fishing a clear water lake, you'll catch twice as many fish just simply putting a red float versus a yellow or chartreuse float above your hook. That's the first method. Number two would be the traditional drop your anchor and just cast out and let your lines lay on a designated area where the fish are. The key to that is the lighter line and the lighter weight, the better. So many people think catfishing, fishing fishing with a rod as big as rebar, 100-pound test. (laughs) <laughs> That's all fine and dandy if you're after 80 and 90 pound fish, but for normal eating size fish, I use eight to 10 pound of uh, monofilament, uh number two size hook, stuff you would really use for bass because yeah. the lighter equipment you use, the more bites you're going to get. All
0: right. I want to talk about both these ways a little bit, but <laughs> I want to back up to that first way again, because me and... Stephen just looked at each other like I have never heard of anything like that. I've in never my heard life. of trolling for catfish. I've never <laughs> yeah, heard of trolling for catfish. I threw a lot of jugs <laughs> out growing up. So when you've got this float, what is what is this float?
3: This float would be uh, the particular brand I use. I think it's called Billy Bob. It would just be like your little three-inch styrofoam float with a peg on it, like you might put on a like a brown crappie fish. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just, just a little bit bigger size to hold up a two or three ounce fillet of skipjack to keep it from falling into the bottom. Yeah. but all the float purpose is is to keep the bait up off the bottom so it's yeah. not dragging in the mud right. and your hook hangs. yeah
1: absolutely. Yeah. that's that's pretty oh, it's a
3: it's it's a science. I, you know a lot of yeah. people look at a catfish guy and they they give no credit to it, but I assure you, really master catfishing there's about as much art or skill as any of the other game fish Uh,
1: it really is i I can agree with you on that any fishery is the same way is there's always an art to what you do and which makes you that much better than the next guy so uh that that's crazy was there you said there was a third one
3: the third one is the most unorthodox of all catfishing but it will catch you more big catfish than any other way and that's simply set up on your location and throw from deep to shallow. In other words, if I'm on Wilson Lake on a point, I'm going to anchor my boat in three to five feet of water, just right on the shoreline, throw out into the deep, and use no weight. Absolutely no weight at all. Uh, it may take five, ten minutes for a piece of bait to get to the bottom in 40 feet of water, but fish it free spool, and it's just a natural presentation. And mm. I catch more big catfish in that method than any other way.
1: And I, I thought you when you said unconventional, I thought you were about to go the the other route of, of, of noodling and I just I can't get my head wrapped around that. that you're edge. going to. No. You're no, going no. to in about another week. Another. You're going to get your you're going get your <laughs> hand wrapped around one. I ain't doing it. So and, and again, you're you're just typically using cut up skipjack that you're you're catching on a cast net, right? Well, the skipjack actually are called on Sabiki rigs, and I get uh-huh. mine from a bait a
3: local bait guy because you get into a time factor trying to manage time between collecting bait and fishing. But I use fresh skipjack. Occasionally, I will use fresh frozen if they've been in the freezer less than two weeks and vacuum seal. But, you know, uh, it's just like anything else. Fresh is always better when you can get them. So- uh, but that's about all I use is skipjack hearing most of the time.
0: So if I'm going to go out, let's go back to that second method again where it's just the traditional way that most of us probably think of is catfishing and that's just going out with some cut bait or stink mm-hmm. bait or whatever it is and throwing out with a weight on. Uh and I and I like what you were saying about the the lighter line, but when I go out to a lake, what am I are you looking other than water depth? Are you looking for anything particular? to hone in on where these catfish are or are they pretty much just everywhere in the right depth of water
3: they it's kind of both both answers there's certain certain places that fish are at 12 months out of the year i do use my electronics a lot but here's here's what i have learned to key up, key in on on a lake like wilson you've got a deep lake 60 to 80 feet in the main lake right now you'll go out there say we're in 60 feet of water you'll see more fish at 40 to fifty five foot deep than anywhere, I don't want to target those fish. A suspended catfish is a difficult fish to catch for two reasons. One he's inactive. Number two, it's hard to get the bait even on the line counter presented right where he's at. So what I look for is fish that are within five feet of the bottom. That tends to be your more active feeder. so I use my electronics to eliminate eliminate that first of all, and then they're like a bass or anything else. They're a structure oriented fish. They're going to follow channel edges. They're going to get in your crappie brush piles, uh, rock piles, anywhere there's some type of cover on structure, just like with any other game fish. That's what catfish like.
1: Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. And the other method you tend to use uh, or uh, fish uh, fishing you do is with, smallmouth live bait and that's really falling off but it'll kick back up in the fall did i hear you correctly on that
3: it'll it'll kick back up as soon as our shad minnows our yearling shad get about two and a half inches long which is typically mid-september and you need the water temperature to get back into the mid-70s that that's not really so much for the fishing but to keep the bait lively uh, even with a good commercial tank and the chemicals you really need that water temperature down around 70 or even the upper sixty. so that's not so much a fishing thing i just have to wait for conditions to get right to keep the bait good and lively more than anything
1: that's great well brian if if somebody wanted to come up to wilson and come catch a big old catfish or or just a lot of catfish because I, I i hear you when you say it's, the big ones are kind of seasonal how can folks get a hold of you
3: well they can uh call me at two five six four one two zero nine six nine I've got a website, uh, BrianBartonOutdoors.com, and BrianBartonOutdoors at AOL.com is my email. Gotten a little lazy the last couple of years. I really hadn't updated my photos like I should, but you can go back into 2015, 16, and 17, and you can view some people that saw over 100 catfish. We've got several shots in there that uh, we've done over 100 fish many a times on just a meat fishing trip.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: That's really good. Well, I'm I'm going to bring up one more thing before we let you go. I know that you are also a brim guy, and yep. we're in May. I mean, this is this is a time that a lot of people consider like the best brim month. I guess. Are we there yet? Are we we still waiting? And I and I want to have you back on to win and, and have a and, and do a whole another segment on the brim because with much water as we have around the state of Alabama and how fortunate we are to have so much water, there's a lot of people that don't have a a big bass boat or they can, they can get their kids out and, and do some, some brim fishing. So I do want to have another segment with you on that. But sure. I just wanted to touch uh, on that real quick.
1: To
3: answer your question, I had a box of crickets delivered last week. I think the seventh was the full moon, seventh or eighth. Had high hopes. My son was home visiting went up on Wilson Lake, total flop, caught a few little small pumpkin seeds, small fish. Again, I think that water temperature is our Achilles heel. I believe our full moon in June is going to be our time this year. But typically, Mother's Day weekend or the full moon right around 1st of May, is the shell cracker time for sure and usually your bigger bluegill are on but this year at least in my waters i have not seen that because of the cooler water temperatures
0: i got you good stuff well i want to have you back on when we get closer to that time for sure and talk about how to how to locate those bedding brim and and give some of your tips on that so brian man thank you so much for being on today we we greatly appreciate it uh that was a a really interesting and, and informative segment. And, uh, man, we look forward to having you back on soon.
3: Well, thank you guys. I've enjoyed it very much. And, uh, you call anytime y'all have a great day.
0: All right, Brian. see you, man. Have a good day. Thank you, buddy. Right. Bye,
1: Steven, I, I did. He's trolling for catfish, trolling for catfish. Never in my life would I ever thought he was going to say that.
0: There's a lot of things I may have expected <laughs> yeah. in that call with catfish and trolling for not one of them.
1: That yeah. is, uh, yeah, could you imagine, like, just kind of bumping along and a big 40-pounder jump on your line, you know, going half a mile an hour, dude, the bend of that rod. Oh, man. We may have to make a trip up there with Brian. Yeah, but I'm serious. I ain't sticking my hand in no catfish's mouth dude i'm telling you you're gonna love i that. thought that's where he was going but, no 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 you're gonna love that well man we've got a little bit of bass some, some catfish what, what do we got next man what's what's on the, the we got our guy we got our buddy joe man from oh, down on joe. the alabama river you joe, know joe better better be catching some crappie man joe what's up buddy doing good fellas joe tell us that you're catching some crappie finally it's wide open again <laughs> nice that's what i'm nice. talking about i saw pictures nice. nice nice finally the alabama river has got its act together tell us about what is going on on the alabama river on these these little old speckle fish we'd like to catch
4: well right now what i'm doing i'm breaking out the long poles i'm using those 16 foot trolling rods and uh finally most of the fish done come off spawn i think about all the black crappie for sure are maybe a few white crappie up there hanging around shallow but uh, we're trolling in that uh, 8 to 10 foot of water, dropping down probably four and a half foot, something like that. And uh, just ease along on those breaks on the edge of the channel or, or right out in the middle of those flats. And we're trying to find a little bit of structure because they're still going to be holding on the structure out there. And this is where what comes into play now is those guys that went ahead and built those stake beds. And done their prep work, getting ready for this time of year, Mm. and those fish are out there holding tight on that structure out there right now. So it's it's wide open out there. How deep
0: are they right now?
4: Well, see, they're kind of suspended in that structure, so you know, you're not fishing. You're not in the water's no more than eight foot deep, Mm. and they're going to be just suspended up over that structure. So that you know, that around four foot, you know, somewhere in there. Just then it kind of varies on the. You know, sunlight day. If it's a bright sun, sunshine, it's going to push them down a little bit more. Early in the morning, they'll be up closer to the top, waiting for them schools of shad to come by and feed on them. And that's that's what they're doing is feeding on those shad as they come by, or they may get out and meander around and chase them, especially on a cloudy day when they don't have to hold tight to that structure when that sunshine gets up there. But that's that's what they're doing.
1: So, that, so let's talk a little bit about these stake beds, and I, I know it's basically you know artificial structure that guys uh, and really crappie guys use a lot. Uh, help our listener who may not be uh, maybe has seen them before, but not really familiar. What's going on with the stake bed? How are you building it? How big are these things? Kind of teach us a little bit about that strategy.
4: Okay, the, the deal is you, you need to build your stake driver. You know, you need to buy around. Ten foot long. I did buy out a PVC, and then uh, use a piece of two inch, two and a half PVC. Then use a piece of three inch, about a foot long on it where you put the stake down in it. And then you get to where you want to build your stake bed, and you mark it with your buoy. But anywhere on those flats, like I was saying, you know, right now that's where you want to be. Closer to a channel if you can get it, or right out in the edge of the channel. And uh, what I do is. Find a guy that's, uh, say some of these lumber mills and all, and they use what they call, uh, stacking sticks. And then, uh, after a while, some of them, they get worn out and they have bundles of them that they literally throw away. Most of the time, they'll give them to you. And, uh, you put about 50 stakes to a bed. And, uh, like I said, you market, uh, get you somebody to help you. And you, one of you run a crow motor, another guy's driving. I mean, you just try to put anywhere from, 30 to 50 in a in a little area there, you know, kind of scattered out a couple of feet to three feet or so apart, and then uh, the fish will hole into those things. And and with the stakes, you know, I've tried a lot of different things. I've tried, you know, cedar trees, Christmas trees, stuff like that. That turns into a lot of work. It's a whole lot easier doing these stake beds. Mm-hmm. Plus, you don't get hung up in them as bad when you troll through them. With just one, you know, single stake standing up, you it's a They're lot easier to ease through them.
1: So they just hold tight to that stake, almost like they would a like a lack of brush pile. They just get as close as they can to it.
4: Right, it's just like a standing small, yeah, stone something that you find out in in the flooded places. You know yeah.
1: how how well, how big of a stake do you need to use to ultimately, And you're driving this into the mud, and how right. how much are you leaving left hanging out of the mud?
4: Uh, most of them that, that I use will be anywhere from six to seven foot and you drive them in a couple of feet, to, you yeah. know, something to that effect, you know, and it'll leave, you know, anywhere from four to five foot, you know, sticking out. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And, uh,
0: now, and you're driving, you said you're using rebar to drive down? No, PVC pipe. Part, or no. PVC pipe.
4: Right. PVC pipe, you know, with a. uh.
0: And then uh, what are you doing with these steaks from the mill, from the wood yard?
1: That's what we're driving down. we put it in the pipe. You put it. You put right. it in the pipe, and you basically use the pipe like a a hammer. But you know, like you're driving a post. Those little things. Oh yeah, that you yeah, Drive yeah, a yeah. post with like, exactly. But they're using. But you just got a bike.
4: longer handle on it, you know. To I
1: Because
4: you. you you may want to do some in that depth, and then later on you may want some a little deeper for later on in the summer. You know, you may want to have one in say ten to twelve foot of water. How many and, will you uh, typically
0: put in one location?
4: Like I said, so between 30 to 50, you know, works real good. You know, and it'll hold a good many fish and then, you know, you do several of them and don't beat one up. You know, don't try to clean one out when you go and fish it, you know, mm-hmm. catch you a few nice ones off of one and move to another one and so on, and so on till you get you a good limit and then. So when you again next week.
1: when you're chasing state beds, you know when you're when you're on that pattern, how is your approach? Is it are you, you are you heard I heard you say strolling? Are you always strolling? Trolling? No, strolling. Was, what strolling? Strolling, strolling. What is strolling? is strolling? that's how you walk, uh-huh. man. You're a stroller. I'm a stroller. I mean strolling. Yeah, yeah. like strutter. Strolling. <laughs> Uh, so is is trolling these stake beds the go to, or, or are you, you cast into it Can you cast them as well? Like what what's my approach? Yeah, you, you
4: can actually cast to them too, but the way I do most of my trolling, you want a little bit of a breeze, or get on the uh, downwind side of it, and that way you can ease up to it. Because like I said, you're gonna have eight poles out with uh, two hooks to the pole, so you know you got around sixteen. Minutes you're putting up into this thing at one time, and then you will if you if they're there when it's real good, okay. You'll ease up to it, and all of a sudden, bam, 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 you'll have two or three poles go off. Well, then you want the wind to kind of push you back while you're taking care of getting the fish off and getting rebaited up, and then you ease back into it again. Like I said, with the wind to your face coming to it, yeah, and do it over and over and over till you get get what you want. Like I said, I'm I'm using my live scope, too, on the front so I can look at it and know exactly where my stake bed is and I can ease up to it. And, I mean, you know, I've, I've been using this thing, and you can literally tell which pole is going to get the hits first, you know, depending on which way you come up to it each time. If you're off to the left or right a little bit, you know, that'll be the side. And then I'll watch those poles over there, and uh, that's where you'll get
1: your strikes at. Say, tell us a little bit about that live scope. That's a hummingbird product, right? No, it's Garmin. The one I'm using no. is Garmin. Garmin okay. live scope. So the Garmin live scope. Tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Well, it's—I mean—that's you know newest technology
4: out there right now with that live scope, and you can actually—well, it's it's live. It's what's going on. It's not delayed, so you're seeing actual time what's going on out in front of you.
1: Somebody's and, calling uh, you to book a trip. Yeah. They crappies bite and they call they call in they call in him to book a trip. <laughs> <laughs> so is it is it looking out in front of you or is it right underneath you? Like what is it like a traditional you- sonar but but more of a live feed or is it looking it's a out live of you? feed and it's a couple of different ways to set the transducer. You can set it
4: where strictly down or out in front of you. There's a new mount that I just got in, I'm getting put on this collar. I Had to download some stuff onto my unit, but it's called uh, perspective mode, and now it's giving me a, like a one hundred and eighty view in front of. It. And I mean, it's, it's definitely a game changer. Whether you're catching crabs, whether you're catching bass, whatever you're fishing for, you know, it it really puts you on top of where your fish are at. I mean, you can actually hunt fishing. There's a, a technique some guys are doing in some of these new, in the coffee trails now that they're actually. Hunting big fish and targeting strictly chasing big fish instead of just going out there catching anything they see, you know they want just strictly a two pound two and a quarter pound crappie and they're chasing those guys around till they catch them. So it's, it's that's kind of neat there. So is this but, a?
0: Are you seeing like a live view? Or are you seeing more like a, a a sonar view?
4: Yeah, it's it's just a sonar type view. Okay, but you can see them see the fish actually move. I gotcha. The so whole it's pretty neat like i said i mean i can actually see a fish strike when it hits my minute that's amazing uh i mean i can watch my line i can see my line my lead my bait
0: that sounds pretty, like pretty a, a really cool product you know one of the questions i had on trolling is you know you got 16 you got 16 minas out you go through one of these beds and you get three or four fish on how in the world do you keep from getting everything all tangled up with lines all in the water and fish everywhere?
4: It can turn into chaos and uh, I had my son with me this weekend and like I said, we uh, we slept in that morning. It was probably 11 o'clock before we got started and by 1 o'clock we had 22 fish in the boat and probably uh, missed that many and had about half that many throwbacks, too small but it was constant action the whole time and uh to be honest it can really it turns into work and if you're by yourself, you buy yourself you have to limit down to probably you say four poles two on each side and that's the only way i can keep up with it but and and really it's almost a three-man type trip because you need a guy really standing behind you uh, helping with the dip net helping with getting rebaited up and getting fished to the live well because once you really key on where they're at It's pretty fast paced. You better be ready to go.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun, man. Well, give us your uh, what's your tip of the day, buddy? Well, the
4: this has something to do with this part, but what I did this past weekend too was uh, uh, with the wind. You know, we had some wind last week, and we still caught fish. But what I've learned to do was take use your phone, uh, go to map. Uh, look at the direction your wind is coming from that day and then zoom in on maps around the lake to places you know you caught fish that the wind will be blocking coming in from that way and that way you'll save a trip and not get uh, beat up trying to fish out in the wind but it's definitely a whole lot easier taking your phone and using that map and looking for those places that the wind's being blocked off of and that, that's really come in to help me a lot uh saving a day and not being sitting out there getting beat up by the wind
0: that's good advice and your tip of the day is brought to you today by great days outdoors great days outdoors magazine guides you on hunting and fishing south of the mason dixon become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com well thank you so much for the tip thank you man we love having you on here it's always a wealth of knowledge and, uh, man, you're always on fish, it sounds like. and uh,
1: I'm me- glad he's catching them. It, it was a little dismal there for a little bit. I was I was worried about old JoJo, but he's back on them, and he's catching them, and it's crazy down on the Alabama River. So, Joe, if they want to come fish with you, man, tell them how.
4: Yeah, just call me here at Dunn Sports. Uh, the number's 334-636-0850. And uh, if I'm not here, Bubba will be here and he'll set you up.
1: Oh, that's great. We'll look forward to speaking to you again soon, Joe. Uh, have fun catching them, and we'll uh, we'll be in touch. Be safe out there, brother.
0: All right, thank you, guys. Thank you, man. Take care. All right, another good segment in Lake Eufala. Sounds like the, sounds like Clayton's on some fish down there, Norman. Yeah, it sure does. Catching some a lot of them, catching some good ones, and that's um, that's some, some good information if you guys are going to Eufala. So out of out of all the segments that we've had today. Norman, one thing we like to do is kind of talk about what what we learned. So, what's your takeaway today? What did you learn? What was the key thing that you heard out of all of our fishermen today that that really kind of stood out to you? Well,
5: a couple of things, I guess. Uh, The first is uh, you got to pay attention to the bait. And, uh, you know, it sounds simple, but uh, you got to follow the bait, pay attention to the bait, size of the bait you know, when they're spawning uh, and sort of match your approach to, to what the bait are doing. Because the bottom line is these these bass, these predators are out there making a living, feeding. You're going to be more successful when you target fish that are with the kind of baits that match with, what they're interested in at the time. And, uh, you know, I thought the other thing that was there at the end when Clayton mentioned, uh, uh, you know, spending some time idling around, you know, looking for fish and looking for spots even david mentioned there's a lot of a lot of what we call dead water out there you know and uh you're not gonna be successful if you're fishing where the fish aren't so These electronics that are available now, you learn to master those and use those to your advantage. You're going to catch a lot more fish.
0: Yeah, and it's very interesting from lake to lake the difference that you hear because you've got Alex in Gunnersville, and he's like, guys, just fish, just keeping it, just go, just fish. I mean, it's the time of year up here in Gunnersville where you just want to have a lure in the water and cover a lot of water and and spend a lot of time fishing, and then you moved south to Eufala and the fish is a little bit different water temperature. The fish maybe have started moving out a little for farther, and so then the electronics and finding those those uh, brush piles and, and locating the forage uh, gets much more important. So a lot of good information today. We appreciate all those guys being on. All right, folks, that's going to be a wrap for this week's show. Please subscribe, rate, and drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. If you'd like us to email you the podcast, just head on over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash A-F-F-R, and we'll send you the new show each and every week. So we appreciate it. Norman, thank you for being the co-host today, man. I'm excited about your segment. There's a lot of stuff that you can, a lot of knowledge that you have, and a lot of things that you do around the whole state, of alabama to to manage these lakes and ponds, so man i really appreciate you and have enjoyed you being on today
5: hey thanks for having me i enjoyed
0: enjoyed it as well well we're gonna do it again soon buddy so all right with that man that was it from the alabama freshwater fishing report y'all stay tuned and uh be sure and tell your friends about us and and spread the word and and we look forward to to to, uh, coming to you guys again each and every week thanks a lot talk to you soon this week's Alabama freshwater fishing report was brought to you by Killer Dock. Check out the full line of all natural dock-enhancing fish cleaning stations at killerdock.com. And also brought to you by GEICO of Mobile. Give Ron Davis, your GEICO agent, a call at 251-445-0053 or visit him online at geico.com forward slash mobile A-L. And brought to you by Fish Bites. Ready to go when you are, regardless of when you're ready to go fishing. This bait stays on the hook and the fish stay on the bait. Check them out, fishbites.com. And brought to you by You do Outdoors. Check out You Do Outdoors on your app store, Google Play. It's a social media app for whatever you do outdoors. This episode was brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344. And also brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com.